Anarashung, Teesin Barafin and Susulad. We had to run. Look at the good. Everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, Stone Age Hunters. Ah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I am happy to say there is no Super Bowl party hangover for me. Um, <laughs> got home at a decent hour because the kids had school and I had work. So. Salute. Super Bowl? <laughs> the yep. Superb Owl. Yeah, yesterday was the Superb Owl. Oh, that's what it was. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I saw a few friends talking about it, and I was like, eh, good for them. Either yeah. that or the Usher concert, I guess, for the non-football Oh, fans. stop that. Oh, my God. Did anybody actually watch that? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh. Uh, all right. Well, also with us is Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Booga booga dooga dooga dooga. What's going on, folks? <laughs> All right. Well, if that didn't indicate the the movie we're talking about, uh, so I think going into this episode, we mentioned that there was two theatrical releases uh, we picked out of darkness, and I think that I, I looked briefly ahead. I'm sure there's other VOD releases coming out, but for theatrical, I don't think there's anything new this coming week. So we have Lisa Frankenstein as the option for this coming up week. So we're probably leaning towards that. I, I don't know 100% if that's what we're doing, but that is there. And it was a theatrical release. So we'll just keep that in mind for now. But we are doing Out of Darkness tonight. So let me get that synopsis. In the old... In the old Stone Age, a disparate gang of early humans band together in search of a new land. But when they suspect a malevolent mystical being is hunting them down, the clan are forced to confront a danger they never envisioned. 
All right. Uh, Venom, we're going to start with general thoughts. Kick us off with what you thought of Out of Darkness. Okay, folks. Before I start talking about my um, general thoughts, I do want to caveat this with um, there is a very major reveal in the third act of this film that kind of may change the tone of the film for some people. Not all, not all people, but some. So we're going to try to be as ambiguous as possible uh, with the actual story because there is a fairly major, you know, um, spoiler that comes in the third act that, like I said, it drastically changed the way that I thought about this movie. And as I'm walking out of the theater, it drastically changed my overall thoughts on the movie. So, um, so with all that being said, I'm going to come in here and say, we finally watched a good movie in 2024. Big goddamn surprise. I'm so happy. Um, yeah, Out of Darkness, this is a great little film. Um, beautiful cinematography, great score, really, really good performances. I mean, there's a couple of performance in, performances in here that are kind of, you know, just there. But there are a couple specifically from our main uh, protagonist that – uh, just beautiful, beautiful performances. Um, I like the language that they're speaking. They're obviously speaking a made-up language, so you are reading subtitles for the entirety of the film. Um, please be aware of that if you're planning on going to see that this week. Um, let's see. Uh, beautiful direction. I thought the director did a really good job. Andrew Cumming, uh, who's also credited as being one of the writers on the film, uh, just a, a really, really good job with... Uh, like I said, set design, cinematography, score, um, just uh, the technical aspects of this film cannot be denied. I mean, they're almost flawless. You even get some nice upside-down shots throughout the film to really um, drive home the point of, like, disorientation and things like that. So that was really cool. Um, yeah, overall, just uh, it, it's just a really solid, well well-made film. Now, is it a good horror film? That's where the conversation has to begin. Um there's a couple of movies that Mike and Don and myself uh, kind of remind us of this movie as we're watching it, and we're going to keep those to ourselves for now, um, only because it would, you know, it would probably be some very obvious spoilers if we talk about other movies that this one reminds us of. But um, let's just say uh, the tension throughout is really well done. I also do like the the use of light and darkness in the movie, especially fog. There's one scene where the, there's really heavy fog, and it's the middle of the day, and that just adds to the tension of, you know, our group of early humans dealing with this antagonist that's stalking them in the woods. So, um, uh, again, just some really, really nice tension, some really, really nice um, – we even get one uh, – there's not really going to be a lot of kills or gore, but we get, we get one really gnarly kill in the movie that just comes out of nowhere. Um, the, the movie is definitely not a gore fest and it definitely doesn't lean into its violence at all, but there is just one kill that just out of, it just shocks you out of nowhere. Like, what the hell am I looking at? Holy shit. Um, and the guy, and the victim's not even dead when we're looking at him at the point. So it just adds to the pain and torture of that scene. Um, and that's really the only great kill in the film. There are multiple kills in the film, but most of them are just, basic stabbings or bludgeoning, you know, things like that. Nothing too horrific, if you will. But overall, like I said, I think everybody's opinion on this one is going to hinge on the third act. How you feel about the reveal, 
how you feel about the messaging of the film. And that's another problem that I had with the, with the movie is that by the time you're done watching it, there is a very specific uh, message that this movie is trying to portray. The problem is when you think back to earlier parts of the movie, the movie is like breaking its own rules. It, it's basically undermining its own message. And I know that sounds ambig- ambiguous as shit, and you guys have no fucking idea what I'm talking about if you haven't seen it yet. But that was one of my biggest issues with the movie, is this grand message that they wanted to leave us with. But the entirety of the movie is just constantly breaking that message and undermining, undermining you know, the, their own morale that they're trying to portray here. So um, I still say this is a very, very watchable movie. I, I, I think... Most genre fans should go out and check this one out. Um, obviously, if you haven't seen it yet and you are mildly interested, you're not going to stick around for the uh, the spoiler walkthrough, and I would strongly recommend that you not because, like I said, that reveal in the third act definitely – your enjoyment of the film is going to hinge on that reveal, I think. I think for some people it's going to work. I've actually already watched some reviews on YouTube where a couple of reviewers adore this film, absolutely love it. They love the reveal. They love the messaging. Uh, they love just about everything about it. But the majority of people of the reviews that I'm seeing are kind of a little bit closer to mine where they like the movie. They recognize its technical prowess and all the things that it did right, but the movie just needed more. To appease horror fans specifically, it needed more. Um, and I did go back and watch the trailer after watching the film, and yeah, it is... I don't want to say it's mismarketed necessarily, um, but like I said, that reveal is definitely going to tinge the way you look at this film. Are, are you going to be positive on it? Are you going to be negative on it? Are you going to be lukewarm on it? I myself am mildly lukewarm. I enjoyed the movie. I absolutely love the first two acts. I really did. I was I, I was um, invested in this family. I liked just about all the characters in it, even the kind of the shitty ones that you're not supposed to like. Like they played their roles well. And I thought they did a really, really good job. So I was invested in this family. I wanted to see them make it and survive rather than, you know, watching them get picked off one by one. But like I said, once we get to the end of the film, you're kind of left there like, really? That's the story that you guys are telling me? I mean, and like I said, just the, the morality play in the whole thing, it just the movie undermines it at every turn. So uh, I'm just going to say that this is a very uh, – very well-made film, very well-acted, well-put-together. As I've already said, the technical aspects are all second to none. It's just the story. It's really going to hinge on this story and how you feel about the third act. And if you're okay with it, if you're okay with the messaging and the reveal and everything else, then awesome. You're going to love this movie, and it's going to be one of your favorite movies of the year, um, at least as of right now. But if you're definitely, if you're looking for like a gore-filled creature feature with lots of kills and a fun time, this is definitely not the movie for you. This one's definitely a a more cerebral, slow burn, which is obviously going to alienate a lot of horror fans out there. But at least you've got your fair warning. Though I still say that if you're a fan of stuff like St. Maud, um, 
and some of the like slower burn A24 horror films. I think you're going to be a fan of this one as well. Um, I do count myself as a fan of this one. I'm just going to say I don't love it. I needed that third act to give me a little bit more. So I'll leave it at that for now. All right. Let's go to Dawn for your general thoughts on Out of Darkness. Yeah, um, I'm pretty close, although I think Venom probably liked it just a tad bit more than me. Um, uh, I, I don't have much in the way of, uh, you know, adding new to the conversation, uh, especially with our uh, predetermined agreed upon, uh, you know, limitations on spoiling things. Uh, yeah, the the technical qualities here are fantastic. The atmosphere is amazing. I, I love, uh, you know, the, the forest shots, a lot of the cave work and, uh, you know, especially that, uh, you know, fog and shrouded encounter in the middle of the day. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Uh, there's, again, I'm trying to, you know, piece my words together uh, carefully here. There is a rather obvious and um, very confusing message at play here, which uh can't really go into much detail, but that that is a really, really odd way of going about it. And I don't know if I, I personally would have gone with the way that it, you know, with the way it uh, interferes with the film. It, it gives it a rather odd tone, uh, you know, especially after what has gone down before it. And it just gives it like a really weird aftertaste. Like, you, I don't know if I, maybe need a different watch uh, to, you know, especially with uh, how it goes on, uh, maybe give it a different watch with uh, that knowledge uh, at play, or if it's just, you know, one of those cases where it's just employs a tactic that I don't necessarily enjoy, but I liked it enough to where it, it's, it overcomes, you know, my personal preference for the, the twisted hands. Um, I, I, I would give it a, a second rewatch. Uh, anyway, there's a, a lot to like here. Um, again, it's, you know, slow burn, but it's intriguing enough. There's, you know, incidental encounters and, uh, you know, the, that one spectacular kill is just fantastic. I think that's going to, you know, that helps a lot, definitely. Um, it, I, I don't know if it would be a spoiler to say that it kind of reminds you, not necessarily the general tone, but just that sequence in particular with uh, the delimbing in um, Bone Tomahawk, where it just, you know, comes out of nowhere. It, you know, comes out of nowhere and it's, you know, just like this really just gruesome over the top sequence. Um, that was kind of like the first one that kind of came to mind, uh, even more so with, uh, you know, Poland Tomahawk being a period setting and, you know, this one being an especially even, you know, later period setting. Um, but yeah, uh, again, can't trying to, uh, you know, mince my words here with, uh, the predetermined, uh, limitations here. I can't say it's a favorite. Um, I can say that it's maybe top three of the year, just based on the crap that we've had to watch. Um, good time if you're into this kind of thing. Uh, you know, again, that slow burn kind of style is definitely very much at play. But, yeah, I, I, that third act is just, it's something. Um 
yeah, it can't really go much further, but um, uh, I think I'll, I will just leave it at that, just at the risk of not saying anything too um, too out there, just to you know give my editing work. But yeah, um, if you enjoy this kind of thing, I, I would definitely recommend it. Um, if you're curious about it, it's worth a watch. I can't say it would be a high priority. But, uh, yeah, if you're against what it is or you're not into these kinds of things, then uh, this is definitely a, you know, free streaming thing towards the end of the year when you're trying to get caught up on everything and, you know, you you find it for free or something and, or, you know, you know, drops on a, you know, platform or service or something. But, yeah, if you're, you're into this kind of thing or you're curious about it, it's definitely worth a watch. So, um, like I said, at the risk of saying anything to give Mike more work, I'll uh, – I guess that's I guess that's it for me. Appreciate it, Don. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I am right along what you guys have already said, somewhere in between. I think it seems like we all enjoyed it to like varying degrees. We might separate once we get to the spoiler section and all the details. Uh it, it's this movie is in some ways what it advertised, in some ways not, I guess. It's very uh minimalist in its its approach uh you know it's uh stone age <laughs> uh in its setting uh i i particularly did like the sound design i thought that was well done to set the kind of atmosphere uh a lot of open landscape um there's a lot of just dealing with uh what it would like to live back then uh every day is kind of a fight for survival. I mean, you to put into perspective, like, you know, as, as hundreds of years, thousands of years even have gone by, uh, modern technology and innovation uh, has created a convenience that people from this time period would probably not even dream to think existed. Um, and I agree, though. The third act kind of, it gets a little convoluted. I, f- I feel like up so when we get to the spoiler section, we're going to obviously talk about kind of like a spoiler reveal. Um, but I think there's more to that in the third act that kind of makes it convoluted, probably with some of its messaging, some of the actions of the characters. Um, so we'll get into that as well. But I think like leading up to that, I was pretty on board with it. I, I still like think it's a pretty good movie for what it is. Um I just think there's certain there's certain elements that happen, you know, towards the last part of the movie that will divide audiences. Um, but other than that, you know, pretty pretty good, and it's it's not a lot of wasted time on screen. You know, we don't get too many like side stories going on. It's a small cast um, out in the middle of nowhere, and if if you like kind of like your minimalist uh, approach. Uh, then this this movie definitely gets the job done there. You know, it's a lot of uh, uh, darkness and sounds that uh, drive, I guess, the horror aspects of it. And, you know, I've seen it described as survivalist horror, so I guess that could be somewhat accurate in a way. Um, but, yeah, overall, I don't, I don't have much to add because it's a very simple story. Like, it's not, at least until the third act when they – which we'll get to, but I think leading up to that, it's like a kind of like a clear uh, mission or what they're trying to do, and they don't add in like a ton of uh, extra characters or subplots to like distract from 
uh, our, our main group of characters. And like you said, there's an awesome kill in there. And then uh, we'll have to save the rest for spoilers because there's I, I don't want to <laughs> say the wrong thing and have to create editing for myself as Don was able to avoid doing. <laughs> so I don't want to mess it up for me, <laughs> my own self. Um, so, yeah, kind of brief on the general thoughts only because I agree with everything that's already been said and I don't really need to just repeat it. Uh, I, I guess I'll just uh, say I do think the immersion effect is really good here. Like, it, I, I think it really... At least for me as a viewer, when I'm sitting in the theater, it really kind of does put you in that time period, or at least the feeling of it. I think they de- they depict it well. Um, and, you know, being I, as as myself, not being a historian, there's nothing that I could personally, like, point to or pick out to say, hey, that's not accurate or anything like that. So to me, uh, they they depicted the Stone Age pretty pretty well. So I'll leave it at that. Back to you, Venom. I always wonder why cavemen, or maybe not cavemen, that might be a little bit uh, going back a little too far, but, like, everybody has short hair in this movie. <laughs> like, how are they cutting their hair? Are they literally using, like, rocks and, uh, like, sharpened rocks to cut their hair? I, it always, like, like the, the younger brother character, Greer, I mean, he almost has a fade. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck is that? But, again, a minor nitpick, ultimately. It, it's something that I've always thought about, like, Whenever we see cavemen or early humans in film, how do they have short hair? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Unless they're eating their hair. I mean, I'm sure they had their own ways of keeping their hair short, but I don't know. Uh, this short, though, where it's almost styled, eh, maybe a little less. Unless they, unless they found a way to, like, trim or cut their hair because they, uh, they realized, like, using strands of their hair as, like, a binding agent or something was, like, Absolutely. useful. Yeah, but I, I, I'm talking like I'm talking about Greer specifically. Like, wh- what stone could, what sharpened stone could you use to get your hair that short? I mean, it, it shaved off completely, or like a, a crew cut or something. That's one thing, but dude, literally got like a city fade. <laughs> I'm just like, wait a minute, that, that's almost impossible. Anyway, nitpick, obviously. Um, there really is a lot to like in this movie. Um, Don, I, I completely meant, forgot to mention atmosphere, but Don took care of that one, and he is 100% correct. Beautiful atmosphere here. You really feel the sense of dread throughout the movie. Um, another thing that I really like about the movie is that they give us all the character and story development right at the beginning with a campfire story. Rather than wasting the first, you know, half hour, 40 minutes on character development and learning about everybody and learning their story and where they came from, blah, 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 we cover that completely in like a three-minute campfire story right at the very beginning of the movie. So I do appreciate that. I mean, that keeps the movie under 90 minutes, and a movie this slow that's under 90 minutes is very appreciated because slow burns – you know, depending on your state of mind, they could seem like they're twice as long as they actually are. So, um, but this one did a really good job of keeping up that tension, great atmosphere, just that that sense of dread. Pretty much as soon as they land on that island, uh, or I think it's an island, um, as soon as they you know land on the new land that they've discovered. Uh, it's just sense of dread right from there all the way. You know, they they're they're starving. They have no food. They discover that the ground on their you know their new home is barren. They can't grow anything. Um, 
there's there's no animals to hunt. Like that's the biggest one is that there aren't little like you know for a whole region to not have animals, you know there's something crazy going on right there. You know that that should almost instantly be a mm-hmm. red flag. Um, but at the same time, like I said, with their situation, leaving a land that was already too barren to live and grow crops and everything, they kind of had they were forced to you know go out into the world and I was actually rather impressed with the boat that they build e- even though you don't get close ups of it that one shot early on when they're sailing towards the new land that boat's pretty gnarly like not a that's a pretty good boat for what six or seven uh you know homo erectus <laughs> to put together so not bad I'll give them credit for that again but yeah like I said there's a lot to like about this movie the whole thing is going to hinge on the third act which you know We've already harped on it, and, you know, I, I hate to make it a point of contention, but unfortunately it kind of has to be. Um, like I said, for the first two acts of this movie, I was so on board, so invested in every member of this family. Um, you know, even Adeem, the shitty leader who basically, you know, has the it's my way or the highway attitude, um, but he played the part well. He, you know he exuded that kind of leadership machismo that you kind of have to in these life or death situations. Um, and yeah, uh, back to Mike's point about survivalist horror, hundred percent. I mean, the whole movie is just this group trying to survive first, trying to survive from the elements, you know, trying to grow food. And, and one of them is pregnant. Uh, like none of us have actually mentioned that one of the members of the party is actually very pregnant. looks like she's about to pop any day now. Like, that adds, you know, a whole nother level of bullshit to traveling and going to new lands and everything. So, um, like I said, the dread was there, the tension was there, the atmosphere was there. It's just once you get the reveal, I think for most people it's not going to be satisfying. There, There's definitely going to be a lot of people that are satisfied with the reveal, as I talked about with some of the YouTube reviews that I listened to. Um, I just think that some, the, the majority of us, um, especially if we're going in expecting, you know, a certain kind of creature feature or supernatural, you know, survivalist film, you're going to be a little bit disappointed with that uh, that third act reveal. So let's, you know, we've kind of, we've danced around it as much as I can. We've probably already given away more than we even intended to in the spoiler-free section, so... That's going to be your final spoiler warning, folks. Moving forward, we are going to talk about the, you know, uh, the spoiler walkthrough of the film. Walkthrough is not going to be very long. Not a whole lot of different set pieces here to talk about, but just the overall encompassing story and that third act that, like I said, is going to be very contentious for many. So, uh, Mike and Don, anything else to add before we go into it? Not for me. Yeah, let's get into it. All right, so our movie opens up with a group of people. Uh, we see a boat nearing a, uh, you know, just like a, a country. You don't know if it's an island or, you know, a peninsula, whatever the hell it is. Uh, but we see a boat nearing a beach. Uh, they get off the boat. They start to celebrate, you know, like they're they're finally off the ocean, um, almost like they're castaways or something. Like they actually were on an even bigger boat that sank or something. But, um after that, uh, that evening, they, they build a campfire, and um, one of the uh, the youngest boy in the group, um, the son of the leader, wants to hear a story. 
Um, so the story that they end up telling is their story, the story of how they got to where they are now, which is kind of convenient for us. I don't know how compelling a story it is for the people there at the campfire, but at least for the audience, it's pretty cool. So like I said, we find out that these people were, you know, from a whole other region. Um, for one reason or another, I don't remember the specific reason. I don't know if it was weather that kind of destroyed their lands or just something happened that their, their land became barren and could no longer grow crops. They decided to set out on, uh, onto the open ocean in their, you know, boat and try to find a new land to, you know, um, pick up stakes somewhere else and, you know, try again somewhere. Um, our group consists of Adim. Adim is the leader. He is the alpha male, the absolute macho douchebag that cannot be denied. And uh, hey, you better not disagree with him or there's going to be issues. Uh, we've got Gear. Gear is the younger brother of Adim. So he is basically like a junior warrior. Um, you know, he is in charge of like protection and watching the campsites and things like that. He also goes on hunts with Adim whenever they do go hunting. Unfortunately, every time they go hunting, they catch nothing in this movie, so sadly. Uh, we have Heron, who is the youngest son, or the only son of Adim, the leader. Um, we uh, Let's see, Beya. Now, Beya is the interesting character. She's basically our main protagonist of the film. She's actually a stray. Uh, they call her a stray in the film, so obviously she's uh, an abandoned child or an orphan that they picked up, you know, wherever, um, but she is now a member of the family, at the very least an honorary member of the family. Uh, Ave or Ava is uh, the matriarch of the family that is Adim's wife, and she is currently very pregnant, <laughs> about to pop with their second child. Um, and they're traveling, they're starving, and literally this poor woman's pregnant trying to keep this fetus alive, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the final member of our group is Odal, and Odal is kind of the elder statesman of the group. He's the elder. He's, you know, supposed to be the wise one. He's the one who knows about medicines and roots and foraging and things like that. <laughs> I guess Ava, when she's not pregnant, she is also kind of an expert of foraging and things like that, too. They mentioned that in the film. Um, so th those are the six people that we're following in the film. Um, and like I said, uh, they're telling the story around the campfire about how they got there and how, you know, they have a great leader with a great queen who's, you know, look, they're looking for their new land so that they can build a new community with uh, the remaining people that they have left. Um, but then uh, on the first day that they're there, Adim and Greer or Gear uh, go hunting. The, trying to find food, you know, trying to find some animals, and they're not finding anything. There are no, there's nothing alive in this land that they're on right now. No birds, no rabbits, no nothing. Um, but then what they do find is they end up finding either an elephant or a mastodon-like um, skeleton. And the skin is there, too, but there's no flesh. The flesh is completely gone. And instantly, Gear and Adim know, okay, shit, there's something on this island that's basically hunting all the animals out of extinction. Adim tells Gear not to tell the rest of the group because, you know, he, he doesn't want the group to get concerned or get fearful for their new land, blah, blah, blah. So they just decide, fuck it, uh, we're not going to find anything to kill today. So let's just go back to the group. And then while they're there... 
um, that night gear gets taken. Basically, we we hear screeches and moans and howls and different animalistic sounds throughout the woods at night. So the group knows a demon gear are the only ones that know that there's something around. The rest of the group is just, you know, generally, you know, in fear. They're, they're all, you know, taking, uh, facing different directions to make sure that nothing sneaks up on them, blah, blah, blah. But then eventually, uh, Heron gets taken, the sun. And he's literally taken, like, every, it's not like he's taken in the middle of the night while people are sleeping. Everyone is awake, everyone is alert, because they hear the sounds of these animals around them. And then suddenly something drags Heron away. Um, Adim, his father, uh, obviously rushes into the woods to go find him. Um, the rest of the clan convinces him, no, 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 don't go out there by yourself at night. You're not going to find him. Let's wait until the sun comes up. Um, but Adim finally says, fuck it, I can't wait, it's my only son, and, uh, and again, they revere sons so much more than daughters in this, uh, time period that Adim is willing to do anything to save his son. He goes out into the woods, uh, Gear wants to go with them, but Adim forces him to stay because he's the only other warrior in the group, um, to stay and protect the rest of the group at the site. Adim goes out looking for his son, does not find him. But then when we're back at the camp, we hear something attack Adim. We hear him, you know, screaming and moaning and everything else. Um, but nobody's, like, rushing out to the woods to go help him because they're all terrified. Gear doesn't want to leave the group because he's leaving them completely unprotected. Eventually, Gear does say, fuck it, and he just runs uh, into the woods, finds his brother, and drags his body back to the campsite. And then this is the kill that we were all talking about earlier, folks. When we see a deem, his jaw has been hyperextended off of his head. It's still hanging there by flesh. Like, it hasn't been completely ripped off. But it's been completely hyperextended, so, you know, it looks like his mouth is gigantic, and his chin is, like, halfway down his chest, you know what I mean? It is such a fucking gnarly-looking effect, like, like chef's kiss on this one. This this effect was great. And on top of everything, Adim is still alive. He's His eyes are open, and you can see tears running down his eyes. Obviously, he can't talk. His jaw has been almost completely ripped off. Um, the group tells Gear to put him out of his misery because he's in pain. Uh, he's also got some broken limbs and touche, uh, as well with, with the, with the ripped off jaw. Um, Gear, of course, you know, being the brother of Adim, he's unable to do it. He can't just, he can't bring himself to kill Adim. Um, Bea, though, happily volunteers to kill Adim, or to put him out of his misery, though I think there was a little bit of pleasure on Bea's part, because earlier in the film, they showed Adim kind of attempt to sexually assault Bea. Don't forget, Bea is a stray, and she's very young. I forgot to mention, she's like teenage years. She's probably like 16, 17, 18, somewhere in that range. She's a teenager. And like I said, Adim, when he was away from his wife, uh, kind of made a pass at her, basically saying, you know, you know, you're my girl, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, he even says, uh, if if Ava dies, you you will definitely be my girl. He's literally already planning for his wife's death. So that tells you a little bit more about Adim, if you need it anymore. 
Um, so like I said, uh, Bea volunteers to put a deem out of his misery. She grabs her um, stone that's uh, carved into the shape of a knife, and she buries it in his chest, killing him. Now, at this point, it's probably been days, if not weeks, since this group is eaten. And they're literally sitting there starving, 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 starving. Suddenly, Ava goes into a almost like a seizure. And it's because the child inside of her is basically eating her alive. Because since there's no sustenance inside of her, she's not eating normally. The baby is getting whatever nutrition out of Ava's body that he can get. Um, uh, eventually, she ends up passing out. And that's when Bea's like, well, listen, we need to eat, and now we have something to eat. And everybody slowly looks up and turns their head towards Adim's dead body. Uh, obviously, Adim is their leader. Nobody is happy about wanting to eat any of his flesh. His wife obviously doesn't want to. His brother doesn't want to. The elder doesn't want to because he says it's monstrous. Only monsters eat each other, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, this is before the days of uh, cannibalism being acceptable in extreme circumstances. So, finally, Bea's like, fuck it, I don't care what anybody says, I gotta eat. She walks up to Edim's dead body and basically slices a hunk of flesh off of him. They they cook it on the fire on a spit, you know, they put it up on a stick, um, they, they roast it on the spit. Everyone is eating, but everyone is eating very reluctantly. Like, you see people putting bits of meat in their mouth and just chewing very slowly, maybe gagging every now and again when they realize, oh, shit, you know, what they're eating. <laughs> and then the camera pans over to Bea, and she is just stuffing her face <laughs> practically with a smile on her face. Oh, man, I fucking loved it. Guilty pleasure. Sorry. <laughs> um Eventually, the next morning, they decide, well, we can't just stay here, because if we stay here, we're basically just dead. We're, we're just going to die. So they decide, um, oh, they also were questioning why the monster never, uh, uh, the creature or creatures, it, it's never really established if it's one or multiple throughout the first two acts of the film. Um, it's never really established, or, or excuse me. Um, Bea questions the next morning why the monster didn't come back and take someone else or try to take a Deem's body. It's like if this if this monster slash monsters are killing people for sustenance, why didn't they come back to take a Deem or to take another member of the party since they didn't get a Deem's body? So that leaves you thinking a little bit. Now throughout the film, um, we see that Bea has hit her first period, or I'm assuming it's her first period. It may just be a, a basic period. I don't know. But the way that she reacts when she first pull, puts her hand down her pants and pulls blood, a bloody finger out, um, she, she acts surprised. So I think, I, I, I think the movie is implying that this is her first period. I might be wrong. Um, I think so, because it, mm -hmm. I think there's some dialogue after that where, the main guy's like, oh, now you're useful to me or, or something. Oh, right, yeah, that's right. Adim does the, yeah, that, that same conversation. Yep, yep. Yeah, there's the concern that the other chicks or the baby he's having <laughs> with the other one might perish because of the the harsh conditions. So it's basically, like, oh, you're the backup plan. Exactly, yep, yep. Um, uh, so let's see, where are we here? So the next morning, the group decides we need to leave. Um Basically, the women left in the group, Bea and Ave, Ava, uh, 
basically instantly assume that gr- that gear is going to take over the leadership of the group because he's the younger brother of the former leader. But the elder, Odal, doesn't trust gear. Basically says he's too young, he doesn't know anything. What it you know, where is he going to take us? Where is this guy going to lead us? Um both the two women basically uh veto him, outvote him and say just get us out of here. Uh they speak to Greer. Uh, gear, excuse me. I'm sorry. I keep saying Greer. It's Gear. G-I-G-E-I-R-R. Gear. Um, so eventually they leave under the leadership of Gear. He's leading them. Uh, we see a montage of them walking around the woods. Uh, it seems like they've spent the entire day walking around because it's, it seems like the sun is about to come down. And then finally they come around to Ben and there's a Deem's dead body exactly where they left it. They literally walked in a circle, um, which, of course, makes Gear look bad and, and embarrasses him. Uh, eventually, Odal is like, well, fuck this. We tried it your way. We're going to go this way now. And they start to walk in a different direction. Eventually, upon walking in that direction, they ran into a fucking graveyard, literally this area that's nothing but bones, nothing but animal bones, um, you know, rib cages, spinal columns, skulls, just it looks like an animal's pit, like a lion's pit or something, you know, some carnivore. Um, and they all freak out. They're like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. And. Um, as they're about to leave the area, um, they're, they, they start to get stalked again, and they start to hear the noises that they were hearing the night before. Um, uh, and, then, and then there's an argument. Uh, Odal starts accusing Bea of being the reason why these creatures are attacking him because she just got her period, so she's bleeding. Um, and, of course, animals in the wild can smell menstruation, which I guess – um, you know, reminds them of blood, and they go on the hunt. Um, Ava, uh, you know, the matriarch of the family, seems to agree with Odal, but not vehemently. She's just kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of agreeing. Uh, but then the conversation comes to a head, and it, it turns into a shoving match, where Odal, Beya, and Gear. By the way, Beya and Gear do kind of have feelings for each other. Um, it's kind of implied earlier in the film. It doesn't really factor into the story at all necessarily. I just figured I'd throw it out there. Um, so anyway, eventually Odal attacks Beya, and Gear obviously goes to protect Beya. He gets shoved onto the ground, hits a rock uh, on his head, and falls down or hits his head on a rock, excuse me. And uh, basically he passes out for a couple of seconds. Ava then joins Odal in accusing Bea of being the reason why they're being attacked. So they grab her and they take her back to, um, you know, the, the, the bone graveyard, if you will. They figure we'll tie her up there and then call the creature, who Odal was calling a demon throughout the entire movie, the demon. And then we see him actually yelling out, demon, demon, here's your meal, come and get her, blah, blah, blah. Um, eventually, um, at this point, while they're trying to get the demon to show up to take Bea, Ava passes out. And unfortunately, she passes out for the last time. Ava does end up passing away during this scene, um, you know. 
they, they haven't eaten. I mean, they did finally eat some meat the night before, but it looks like it was a little bit too late to save Ava and the child, um, you know, her unborn child. So she ends up passing out and dying. And then Odal is still standing there. Oh, I forgot to mention, just before Ava uh, dies, she grabs uh, Odal because she realizes that Odal was wrong. Just before she dies, Ava realizes that Odal was wrong. So she actually grabs his leg, uh, traps the leg, like kind of catches it under like a log or a rock, forcing Odal to fall down, which then breaks his leg. He has a compound fracture, so his bone is sticking out. And then after that, Ava passes out for the last time and passes away. And so at that point, like I said, Bea is tied up. Odal is now on the ground with a broken leg. Ava is dead on the ground, but Odal is still trying to contact the creature. You know, he's calling it out, demon, demon, come and get your meal. Eventually, what we see is something drag Ava's dead body out of there quickly, like really fast so that you can't see what it was that dragged her out of there. Um, rather than Bea, who's still, you know, awake and tied up in, in the pit. Um, but for some reason, the creature took Ava, and which instantly um, makes Odal fearful because now he's there um, with a broke. He's an old man with a broken leg and a tied-up girl, so he's definitely in danger. And then we get, uh, and then Gear finally wakes up, realizes what's going on, gets back to the graveyard, the bone graveyard. Um, realizes that Odal's already on the ground with a broken leg, so there's nothing that really needs to be done there. Um, he does untie Bea, and they end up um, starting to leave. Uh, they basically, they hide because they figure that the creature is going to show up any minute to grab Odal. You know, old guy, broken leg, can't move. Um, and eventually the creature does show up, and we finally... An hour plus into the film, finally get our first image of the creature. And this is where we see that it's not a four-legged large creature. It's actually bipedal. It's standing up on two legs. And it's got like a weird mask on it, you know, almost like a handmade like potato sack type mask so that you can't see what it is. Um, obviously, the music is swelling. Um, the tension is building. It seems like the creature is about to attack gear. But then Bea comes out of nowhere, hits the creature in the head with a rock, and a mask falls off. Yes, my friends, here is our fucking third, uh, third act reveal. The mask falls off, and what is underneath the mask? A fucking Neanderthal. Yes, it's another human, another early human, but this one's even more underdeveloped than... Uh, the group that we've been following, you know, they've got the big brow, you know, the big bony brow, um, the little eyes, the little ears. Um, yeah, just total Neanderthals. So this entire time, my friends, it is not a creature stalking our group of, um, you know, settlers. It, it, it's a rival group of humans um, who were just going after strangers that you that, you know, invaded their land, if you will. So, um, and, and this is, this part also gets me, Gear and Bea are literally standing right there next to the creature, and it's not even an adult. It's like a child or a teenager. It's like a small Neanderthal. 
Um, it's definitely not full grown. Rather than just jumping on it and killing it or whatever, they literally let it go. It, it just runs away into the mountains, and then they they give chase. They follow it into the mountains. They end up finding a cast a, a passage of caves. Um, where these Neanderthals are actually living, and Bea, in her infinite wisdom, says, we got to go in there and finish this. I'm screaming, how the fuck do you know how many of them are there? There could be a fucking community of them in there, you know? I mean, plan, for God's sakes. But no, Bea just goes in. Um, through. You know, they're going through this labyrinth of cave passages. Eventually, Bea gets attacked by another, a full-grown Neanderthal this time. A very full-grown Neanderthal. This is a big fucking gorilla of a man. Um, they get into a squabble. Uh, you know, they get into a fight back and forth. Um, eventually, Bea is able to get the upper hand, and she stabs uh, the Neanderthal with her spear. She ends up leaving the spear in the ne- in the Neanderthal and continuing her search through the cave passageways, which kind of freaks me out. Um, eventually, Gear does catch up to her. He ends up finding the body of the Neanderthal that she killed uh, or that she attacked, and he's not dead. He's literally he's laying on the ground. Her spear is still stuck in his neck, but he's on the ground moaning, not completely dead. Finally, Greer comes over, grabs the spear, stabs him a couple of more times, and kills him. As he does this, he hears Bea screaming. And the reason that Bea is screaming is because, you know, we, we cut back to her. She gets to another part of the cave passage where she sees a pile of animal skins. And there's something moving underneath the pile. Uh, so she grabs her knife in preparation of killing whatever is underneath the pile of animal skins. She slowly approaches the pile, um, pulls the pile apart so that she can see what's under there. And lo and behold, it's Heron. It's Adim's son, the very first victim of this group, the very first one that got taken. He's still alive and in good health. Uh, he's not a prisoner. He's not tied up. Uh, it's almost like the Neanderthals just decided to adopt him. But just as Bea finds Heron, another Neanderthal uh, walks into the cave and has like a bludgeon in his hand, like some kind of cudgel, a bludgeoning mallet type weapon. And you can see that he's about to attack Bea. Bea is standing in front of Heron trying to protect him, thinking that, you know, the Neanderthals wants to kill both of them. And then just as, at that moment, as the Neanderthal is about to attack Bea, Gear shows up, and he shows up right behind the Neanderthal, looks around the Neanderthal, sees Bea and Heron. Now, mind you, they thought Heron was dead. They thought he'd been dead for days at this point, and here he is alive and in good health. Um, but at the exact moment that Gear realizes that that's Heron standing behind Bea, the Neanderthal unceremonious, unceremoniously bashes his fucking head in. And then after Gear falls down, the Neanderthal follows up with like six or seven double taps, just bashing his head open. Unfortunately, we don't get to see it. You know, we get kind of the off-screen version of it. But a very, very violent kill. That, unfortunately, we don't get to see. So at that point, uh, while the Neanderthal is killing Gear, 
Baya finds a torch. Um, you know, obviously all throughout the cave systems, there's different torches set up so they can see. She grabs a torch and she throws it on the pile of animal skins. And then she sees like a path with some sunlight coming through it. Um, you know, like a long window type thing, a, a small little cave passage. She and Gear start climbing out. Um, and at this point, the fire has is fully raging. The, the cave system's on fire. There's smoke bellowing out of all the openings of the cave. Eventually, Heron gets outside first, you know, crawling through this little, you know, long window, if you will. He gets out of the cave system. He's fine. Then Bea gets out of the cave system, and she's fine. And then as soon as Bea gets out, uh, a female Neanderthal pops her head out. And she starts screaming because she's stuck. She ends up getting stuck. And like I said, the fire is catching up to her behind her. So she starts speaking in her language. She starts saying something in her language to Bea, but Bea doesn't understand, obviously. Bea speaks her language. Uh, they speak two very different languages. Suddenly, Heron tries to help the Neanderthal. Uh, the Neanderthal woman, he literally is grabbing her arms and trying to pull her out of the cave entrance so that she can escape the fire as well. J just as Heron is about to pull her out, Bea comes with a boulder, a rock, and just bashes the shit out of the Neanderthal woman, killing her instantly right there. As soon as she does this, Heron starts getting mad at her. Why would you do that? Why would you kill her? They were helping me. They were treating me well. And this is, you know, this is like another part of the reveal, if you will. Um, uh, Heron lets Bea know that they were feeding him. They were taking care of him. Um, I don't understand why Heron is still okay with this. Obviously, he was a little kid and he was starving with the group of people he was with. He ends up getting kidnapped by a group of people who actually have food, and apparently Heron got Stockholm Syndrome, and suddenly he wants to be a Neanderthal. Um, and then the movie basically ends there uh, with, like, basically Bea and Heron take over the cave system and they start a new, basically they're starting from scratch. Um, they're not brother and sister, so they should be able to safely repopulate their community. Um, even though Heron's like 12 years old and Bea's maybe 15, 16. I don't know. Well, I don't know what age girls get, get their periods. So sorry. Um, and that's pretty much it. And like I said, the movie leaves us with messaging something along the lines of we're all people. You know, even though we may look different, we're all people and we should all be able to be peaceful. The problem is the movie constantly undermines its message. Like, why would they kidnap Heron if they were friendly? Like, the, the very first thing to happen, the catalyst for all this, was Heron taking, getting kidnapped. Like, literally, and like I said earlier, it's not like it was the middle of the night. It's not like Heron got lost in the woods and they saved him. They literally kidnapped him from his family and then just started treating him well. But they still kill Adim. They very violently kill Adim, his father. They kill Gear, uh, Heron's uncle, right fucking in front of him. And it's unceremonious. Like I said, it's not like there was a fight. Literally, the Neanderthal turned around and just started bashing Gear's head in. 
There was no attempt at peace, no attempt at understanding, nothing. So this movie's messaging doesn't mean anything. You know, it's like they want us to walk away from this movie with this grand message of we're all people, we're all the same, even though we don't look the same, we all want peace and happiness and blah, blah, blah. Well, then why the fuck did the Neanderthals practically decimate decimate this group? They kidnap Heron. They kill Adim. They take Ava's dead body. Oh, by the way, they ended up, the reason they took Ava's dead body was to honor her. They actually put her up on an altar in their cave system. So, you know, um, Heron's mom, who's still very pregnant, uh, her dead body basically is adorned with, like, nice animal skins and things, and she's up on an altar. But again, that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> Why did they steal the body of a dead pregnant woman just to honor her and then kill Adim, Gear, and Odal? Like, all the men in the group they kill, all the women in the group they honor, and then Heron they kidnapped. So this is what I mean about this movie. This messaging is incredibly muddy. I don't think this movie understands how to get a message across. You can't have a group of Neanderthals pick off a group of Homo erectus one by one and then say, oh, they didn't intend to murder you. They wanted peace. No, fuck you. <laughs> they, had to, they kidnapped my son and then they kill our leader. Fuck you. There was no attempt at peace, no attempt at negotiation, no attempt at anything. So, yeah, this movie undermines its own message, and that's its ultimate crime. Still a great movie, still a lot of positives about the film, but like I said, that third act, the reveal, and then the way that the movie undermines its own message, I think, are, are the two biggest issues that I have with the film. So, there it is, folks. That is Homo erectus versus Neanderthals, 2024. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so, yeah, obviously uh, what the reveal kind of reminded me of an aspect of a different movie. Do uh, you remember M. Night's The Village? <laughs> oh, I fucking hate that movie. I fucking uh, hate that movie with a passion. Because before the before the big twist, I guess at the very end where we find out like what's actually going on, they kind of played with the same thing. Like, oh, there's a creature out in the woods, and it's like, oh, actually, they were just using that to scare him, and it's not really that at all. Um, as far as far as the messaging at the end, I now I'm trying to like think if I like miss some dialogue. No, 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 no. There's no, no. It's an implied message. There is no dialogue, no text, no anything. It's implied. The 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 implied messaging I kind of took from the ending. Um, it wasn't so much uh, that they were that they were trying to say, "Oh, look, we're all the same. We're just people." I thought, and like I said, this is just an interpretation because I don't know for sure. Mine was, I, what I took from it was they were acknowledging that like, oh, look, we're, we're just another fucking failure of a species because we just killed off each other for no good reason. And okay, I guess now as the new speed, like the new version of our species, as like evolution is going on, I guess we can try to start over and do better like going forward because we are all just a bunch of fuck ups. That's that's what I I took from it. Um, 
which well, is we not are, totally... We are all fuck-ups, though. Well, no, yeah, there's, exactly. There's, but that, no, yeah. there's no correcting that. <laughs> That's what I took from it, is, like, from the dawn... Of, I, I think they were almost trying to say from the dawn of mankind, all we do is, like, go to war with each other, right. kill each we're other. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're distrustful. We, ha- we, we look out for ourselves, not others, by nature. And so at the end of the movie, it was like, well... Uh, this this dawn of or this era of uh, mankind failed. Maybe the uh, Homo erectus will get it right, but then, like as history shows, we we kind of never get it right as mankind. Nope. <laughs> so not it's not a totally different message from what how you interpret it, just slightly a little different. But that that's that was my take on the ending. What about you, Dom? Uh, women are not to be trusted. Um. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think the idea of, you know, not be, you know, we want peace, but yet our first instinct is to mistrust outsiders. I, I think it's a, it's fine the way they, it, it comes about where the Neanderthals are the ones that are trying to be trusting, but yeah, then they go about and they try to kill everybody. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. And then you see at the very end, you know, the Neanderthal woman is trying to get out and Heron is the one trying to help her. And then the other girl just bashes her head in and kills her. Like, why would you need to do that if the fire is going to kill her anyway? Just drag him away and just let her burn. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. kind of feel like... So uh, the my issue, my main issue with all that unfolds in the third act. It just feels like a convoluted way to say it because I, I think what the director and writer were maybe going for is that in this battle between Homo erectus and Neanderthal era of humans, it's not necessarily that one is the good side and one or one's the good version of mankind and one's the bad. I think it, it's it's kind of to Venom's point. It's like they're all mankind, but they all we all just have the same gene to like fuck everything up and like just be distrusting of outsiders like Don said, skeptical. Like, n- n- neither faction uh, in the movie uh, ever stopped to, like, really assess or, like, reach out to be like, hey, what what's going on? It, it's really just immediate, like, oh, look, there's other unfamiliar people must kill to, to preserve ourselves. Uh, like, that's the natural first instinct of mankind. And, it, and I guess you can make the argument that, like, from the Stone Age to current times, it's like we keep repeating the same damn thing, regardless of how like more evolved we feel we are than like previous uh, iterations of mankind. That we we keep doing the same thing over and over. Oh, yeah. yeah, but if if you're gonna do that, then the behavior should be pretty consistent. The Neanderthal should be considered peaceful and you know wanting to accept them into the tribe. And the Homo erectus tribe should be the violent, brutal bashers. And yet both sides display each each quality. You should have the behavior be set up to where one side is decidedly good and, you know, the Homo erectus side should be very obviously just, you know, barbaric and, oh, well, they did this, they did this, they did this, we have to get them. It doesn't matter if they're intending for peace. Even if they, even if they, it should be mis, even if they misconstrue everything, it, it should still be set up to where everything that they do is set for one side. But yet, both sides display both qualities, so it doesn't even each even that point doesn't really matter. 
Yep, the messaging is muddy. That's the, that's the ultimate takeaway from this one. Just a lot of muddy messaging. Well, yeah, um, I I did kind of like. Now that I think of it and looking back, I did kind of like the makeup, like because they were. I, I, yeah. I like the distinction between both groups. How like they're yep. both they're both primitive in a way compared to like modern man, but like you can still see the differences. Uh, between those two, and they made it a point to make, like, the, of course, the Neanderthals look a little more, like, devolved, or I don't even know what the right term ape, is, but ape primitive, ape, yeah, ape-like. ape-like. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was cool, and I like it because, you know, through modern time, you always kind of have, like, the sort of, like, the enlightened versus the, no, we, we can't change from what we are now. Like, you see those battles all throughout history, and it usually never has good results yep. <laughs> but overall like even with the even with the criticism said like i still enjoyed the movie overall. it's probably yeah, yeah. My, at least for me probably the best 2024 release easily that i've seen so far because I, I haven't seen much outside of what we've done for the show to be honest so i'm at a disadvantage i guess um my favorite just, so f- oh go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say i just barely hit double digits for the year I'm actually a little behind on my movie watching. I was going to say, um, not truly horror, but my favorite of the year so far is a film called The Seating. Oh, I I know of it. I just haven't seen it yet, but I, I yeah, want to watch it. it. Yeah, it's really good. Um, not truly horror. It's, you know, horror adjacent, especially with where it goes in the final act, but... Uh, if you're wondering, that is my favorite of the year. So uh, my my true general my true general favorite. Um, uh, it feels kind of weird to say this. It's a crappy creature feature called the Wendigo, and instead <laughs> of the W E N D um, spelling, it's a W I N D spelling. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I I I did finally see Scalper, and I did enjoy it. So. Or whatever, that's right. Like I said, um, yeah, you saw Nightcaller too. Yeah, yeah, I watched oh, them both back to back. Makes much more sense, huh? Exactly. Yeah, the scalper by itself, it, it yeah, it would have been rough. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Yep. But yeah, sadly, 2024 is uh, starting out with a fizzle. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, well, we are leaving the Stone Age behind, uh, back to present time. And like I said, probably I would bet on Lisa Frankenstein being the next release. But we'll uh, since since we won't be, you know, since we have a week till we record, I'll still like say we can see what's coming up on VOD. I don't think, at least not wide release, there's any horror coming out. So uh, Lisa Frankenstein, as of now, leading candidate. But we'll keep an eye on VOD. We got a good week to decide. Um, so with that said, before we get out of here, let's find out what else uh, there's to listen to from us. So Venom, what do we got? Uh, there's, there's one that's been a long time coming. So Venom, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and announce that one. All right. The Curse episode of No More Room in Hell. Number, what was it, 57? Mike? Uh, yes, uh, he said that a couple times. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, episode fifty-seven is finally in the can uh, after uh, an almost oh no, not even almost uh, a three-month break. 
literally our last episode was in, or our last full episode was in our October, not counting the couple of commentaries that we did in October and December. But yes, finally, an episode of the main show, and it is a return to Hammer Horror. Once again, we are looking at Hammer Horror films. Uh, this time around, it was Derek's picks, and with that, we looked at The Gorgon and Quatermass and The Pit. Um, one of these was a first-time watch for me. The other one is an old favorite, and I think we all had a really good time with the movies, so check that out. Obviously, all the other segments that you're used to, burning The Burning Question, What We've Been Watching, and Horror News are all represented as well, so yeah. I know it took a long time, very sorry folks, but uh, unfortunately the end of 2023 and beginning of 2024 have been kicking my ass, so, um, but thankfully we're back, uh, hopefully we can get back into a normal cadence of releasing episodes again, we're already talking about what our next episode is going to be, so look out for that one. And then on Creature Comforts, our latest episode is episode 23, where we looked at 1986's Rawhead Rex, uh, the second film uh, screen written by um, Clive Barker. And it is. And if you read the short story that this movie is based on, uh, Clive Barker's sexuality is very out in the open. If there was ever a question about Clive Barker's sexuality, read the short story of Rawhead Rex, which is available in Books of Blood, Volume 3. Um, and that's pretty much it for me, I think. I don't have any guest spots coming up anytime soon. But like I said, life is starting to stabilize again. So you'll you'll be getting more shows from all of the No More Room in Hell family um, in 2024. So that's it for me, folks. All right. I'll throw it over to Don. What do you got? Uh, yeah, um, episode 57 of the main show was uh, a lot of fun. Um, definitely look forward to that one. Uh, Creature Comforts, uh, we're um, probably even going to uh, make plans to get the next episode out sooner rather than uh, later. Um, surprised, yeah, you know, surprised you didn't mention that one either, um, as there are tentative plans. Um, you know how the saying goes with us. Uh, for a uh, new re- new episode to be recorded sooner than later, um, I shall keep uh, everything under wraps, just because uh, I, I know the curse of the show, and uh, it'd probably be easier to announce it when it's uh, when it's completed rather than uh, announce it for three weeks and then uh, you know we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, um, be on the lookout for those in the, the coming weeks. As uh, for my show, uh, The Horror Countdown, I have uh, my latest episode, which is a look at the top 10 public domain films, uh, which is uh, a lot of fun. And yes, to give a slight spoiler, although um, really this should not be a spoiler at all, both me and the guest pretty much looked at it as a challenge of, okay, Night of the Living Dead, and then what's 2 through 10? So... (laughs) Yeah, um, no, we're, no real spoilers there. Um, both of us are, you know, you know, we were both seasoned horror fans, and we both looked at it at the exact same way. So, uh, you know, that should be a lot of fun. Um, some interesting topics. Uh, we picked some obscure films, but uh, it was a fun time. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for that. I can also reveal that uh, one of my upcoming episodes is going to be coming out sooner rather than later. And this is uh, a look um, 
I, I joined a show called Would You Die, which is a upcoming episode of mine. Um, just be on the lookout for that one. But this was a general conversation on the big G. Um, this is a full-on Godzilla discussion. Uh, pretty much any and every topic, all of the franchises, all of the films, eras, uh, different forms of media, all of that fun stuff. So uh, that one should be out next week. So uh, be on the lookout for that one. If uh, you haven't gotten your fill of me discussing Godzilla Minus One, there's a full-on discussion about this one and all the others in the franchise coming soon. So, yeah, um, I will uh, give links and reveals when that's ready. But, uh, yeah, beyond you know, that, that's uh, pretty much all that I can uh, reveal at this current time. Like I said, uh, there's still – I think there's two more um, that are uh, supposed to be coming soon, but I can't really reveal those as of yet just because they're – I, I don't know when they're coming out, but uh, that is uh, the one that I can reveal and uh, is uh, the last one that I have. So uh, that's it for me. All right. Um, as far as I go, nothing much new. Just No More Room in Hell 57, as was already mentioned. It'll probably be released within a couple of days of this episode of Fresh Cuts being released. So look for that this week. And then, other than that, yeah, in the next episode, I think the rotation goes back, as far as No More When Hell, the main show, my pick, so i got to figure out what we're doing. And I think that's it. Maybe we'll try to get an episode of a Crystal Lake Gift Shop book, too, because, uh, yeah, we're all ready for that one as well. And I don't know. We're still relatively early in 2024, so who knows what the rest of the year holds for us and podcasting but uh with lots that, of bad movies yeah ah <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> unfortunately yeah <laughs> but, uh, i mean i've seen the calendar so it doesn't look promising <laughs> <laughs> well that said thanks everyone for listening uh we will be back in about a week with another episode of fresh cuts let's say bye to our listeners later Adios, my friends. If a new group of cavemen appear on your island and you want to find out if they're friendly, give them a fruit basket. That's a lot easier than kidnapping their younger son. I don't know. Mankind's going to mankind. What, do we, what can we do about it except continue to be <laughs> mankind? Peace. I disagree with you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Should have just left it as mankind gonna mankind, Mike. I think that was a better. Mankind way of gonna mankind. <laughs> <laughs>